welcome to our early morning prayer. Uh, second day, third day of the 21 day fast, second day in the morning. And uh, we're going to continue on, on John chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start from verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, What business do you have with me, woman? Why, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he tells you, do, to, whatever he tells you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots standing there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. Now when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the groom and said to him, Every man serves a good wine first, and when the guests are drunk, then he serves a poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. In verse 12, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Oh, what a wonderful picture. Um, his, his mom, his, his brothers, uh, also mixed with his uh, disciples, followers. I think, I think it's, just a, it's a really neat picture. Um, it's, not just, it's not just ministry. You know, there's not a compartmentalization. It's not like this is, and then he comes home and then he's just, you know, uh, uh, the son or, but it's, it's, it's like, I, I, you, you don't meet too many people where like who they are with you is who they are with everyone is who they are all the time. You know, even myself, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us have seen ourselves in different contexts and to different people. I had a friend who literally changed accents with every group of friends, you know, with, if he was with his church friends, if he was with his work friends. Uh, um, you know, and, and even the you know verbiage and lingo, but to see that with Jesus, just even this glimpse of this picture, where whether he was with his disciples and followers um, that were just called out, or whether it was with his mom, uh, um, you know, brothers that they were moving together, traveling together, um, and I think you'll see that in the cor- course of Jesus's ministry, you know, meeting in homes, uh, 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 you know, people were involved and. Uh, anyways, continuing on in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and within the temple grounds he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables, and he made a whip of cords, and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away from here, stop making my father's a place of uh, father's house, a place of business. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will be, will consume me. In, in other uh, records, it talks about Jesus saying, my house or God's house will be a house of prayer. The Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it, is 40, it took 46 years to build this temple. And yet you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, 
Many believed in his name as they observed his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, because he knew all people, and because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So yesterday we had the introduction to John. I drew parallels to Genesis. John is very intentional about linking that, whereas other Gospels start with a genealogy, uh, the beginning, his birth. Um, John starts with, in the beginning was the word, uh, linking how when God created uh, the universe, the expanses, the light, the heavens and the earth, simply by speaking a word. And so he's basically saying, this is the same God. This is Jesus. This is the word that became flesh. He was there since the beginning. Um, John's purpose of writing is very clear. He's asking the question, who is Jesus? And he'll spend 21 chapters all the way to the very end explaining that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. In the first chapter alone, I mentioned yesterday that Jesus is given seven titles. Uh, He's referred to as Rabbi, as the Son of Joseph, the Son of Man, King of Israel, the Lamb of God, behold, the Son of God, and then finally Messiah. And so John aims to uh, answer this central question of who is Jesus uh, and and starts off by saying he was there in the beginning, that he is God. Uh, And then chapter 1 rounds up uh, or finishes up with Jesus uh, rounding up his disciples. And then we get to this passage here that starts uh, uh, with a wedding account. Um, I've given this sermon, actually, I've used this passage for a sermon. I have like three... Um, wedding sermons that I use. Actually, actually, it's two. And, uh, and so if you've been here long enough, and I'm sorry to say, you know, if, if I do your wedding, you're probably going to get one of these sermons. Um, so I'm not going to go into that specific teaching uh, this morning. But a couple things I want to draw out this morning. It, it gives us the account of Jesus going to a wedding. Uh, dis- disciples were invited. His family was invited. Jesus was invited. Uh, wine runs out, or, or, or the good wine uh, runs out. And uh, somehow word gets to Jesus's mom and then Jesus's mom gives instruction uh, to the waiters to listen to Jesus. Um, And so uh, Jesus says something interesting here. He says, uh, what business do you have with me? Uh, You know, my hour is not yet come. And and I love it. Jesus's mom, you know, obviously they have a personal type relationship um, just like literally disregards and never minds what the Son of God says and just tells the waiters to listen. Um, and so uh, most commentaries, you know, Jesus isn't being uh, disrespectful. Um, there, there are plenty of places throughout the scriptures where, where you can see that they have an intimate uh, uh, relationship, um, especially on the crucifixion where Jesus dies. You know, one of the last few breaths that he has left, left and that one of the final instructions he has is to make sure that his mom is taken care of and he draws the line or, or, or sort of uh, uh, hi, you know, heightens the standard that beyond blood, you know, relational uh, family is even a higher call, which is spiritual blood or, or spiritual family. And so you know, to John and to uh, Jesus' mother, commits them to each other. And so um, the question I have for you this morning if you, if you have the capacity this early in the morning to process, is 
Who do you think was the most blessed by this encounter? Right? Uh, uh, the first miracle. Who is most vested or who walks away from this encounter with this revelation or this experience or this encounter with God? We're always talking about, you know, let's encounter God. Let's experience God. You know, you're coming here in the mornings at EMP, you know, in hopes, you know, no matter if you get a slow start, in hopes that by the you know, 21st day or by the end of the fast, that you have breakthrough, that you have an encounter, that, that, that you know, God has a download for you, an impartation, something that's going to spark, you know, carry you. Uh, and, and we recognize that through the, you know, throughout the year, we're going to go through ups and downs, and that's okay. But, that, but that's what we contend for. You know, um, I've given this teaching before, and, and, and I have to remind people once again, you know, no, no alcohol in-house church official business, right? It's not because alcohol is bad. There's certainly nothing wrong with having a casual drink. You know, uh, alcohol in and of itself is, is not a sin. It's if you abuse it or if it, you know, if it, if it overtakes your, your reasoning uh, uh, and it starts to influence. But there's parallels in the scriptures that when the Holy Spirit comes, I can give you two or three references, that when the Holy Spirit comes, people actually get confused. Are they drunk? Right? Don't you think that's fascinating? I mean, you can literally read it yourself. And so there seems to be something in the Spirit that's God-given that when He touches you, there, there's this illumination, there's this overflowing, there's this joy, natural, you know, raw, uh, supernatural, uh, uh, you know, from God, you know, peace, excitement, joy, laughter. And then there's the world's version that somehow it has to manufacture to get to a certain point to have those things that are only temporal and, and, and usually, you know, quite, quite frankly, quite superficial. Um, and so, so we, we, we contend for these, you know, sort of uh, encounters. We want to experience God. Um, and it's not that, uh, uh, you know, alcohol is bad, but it's just that when we come together, every opportunity we have to come together, every time two or three of you come together, whether you call it house church, whether you call it accountability, whether you call it fellowship, Every single time two or three believers come together and Christ is the central focus is an opportunity for God to speak to you. Isn't that incredible? That God can give just even dining out, even just hanging out in conversation when you start talking about him, that in that moment that God can bring a revelation of himself. And so it's not like, don't do this. This is bad. It's like, oh my gosh. Do you know how awesome it is? Do you know how good it is? How, 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 how possible it is that when we come together that we can have this revelation of God. And so, uh, um, man, we want to gun after. We want to run after. We want to go after the best things. Right? And so that's why this policy exists. It's not, it's not that it's bad or that, you know, don't do or, or shit. Not, none of that. It's that when we come together, it's such an awesome opportunity. Someone there with their face and with their front could be like really struggling with something, you know, but they, they're just not in the place or in the mode to share that. And then you come together and, and invite the Spirit just in conversation and prayer in the Scriptures. And then for God to move somehow prophetically or to give you a word or to give you impartation or insight and then to minister to each other just through this conversation. And then for that person to walk away from that conversation and say, man, I'm so glad that we came together tonight. Man, you really, I was really encouraged by your prayer. I was really encouraged by what you share. And, and, and those opportunities are Anywhere and everywhere that we have faith and hope to believe that when we come together. And so, so that's just a, 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 you know, one example. Um, and so what, you know, who's, who's most encouraged here? Who's, who's most uh, blessed by this encounter? There's, there's Jesus, you know, uh, uh, 
I have the privilege and opportunity to minister. <clears throat> I have the privilege and opportunity to come and, and serve and, and pray for people in various contexts. And, and I certainly am encouraged. You know, um, I, I get really encouraged. You know, it's probably what gets me going. You know, other than the fact that my devotion to the Lord, my love for the Lord. But when I, and, 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 and I have these conversations and dialogues with the Lord and, and I'm constantly thanking Him and I'm constantly just giving praise. Um, um, but then when I come out and, and have the opportunity to minister, and, and, and some of you guys may be in that position as well, as house church leaders, as, as uh, leaders of various ministries, and you're sowing and you're sowing and you're giving. And then to see people encounter God. And then to see people have a transformation. You know, to, to see someone that you've walked with for, you know, seasons. And then for that person to come into uh, uh, an encounter with God. It's so rewarding. It's such a blessing. So, so I'm, I'm certain Jesus seeing these things happening and people being amazed by them is an encouragement to him. Uh, Jesus' mother was there. I, I get the feeling that she kind of knew these things or, or, or expected these things. Um, uh, uh, the head waiter was there you know, giving instructions, the disciples were there. And so try to put yourself in any one of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, individual shoes. And who do you think kind of walked away with the biggest blessing or the biggest takeaway, right? Uh, You might say uh, the disciples. If you look down further in the the chapter, at the very end, it says, oh, you know, the disciples saw this and, and they believed and then they committed themselves. And it was just one of those turning points for them. Um, I want to say to you, of, of the many who received and of the many who were blessed, I want to particularly call out um, not the head waiter, uh, the guy in charge of the waiters, but the actual waiters. And so this is Jesus' Jesus's instructions in verse 7. He said to them, fill the water, part, uh, uh, water pots with water. Okay, so they were empty. They fill it with water. And then Jesus says after that, can you imagine as a waiter? Okay, we're, we need wine. And, and your mom said, you know, you're going to provide, you know, wine. That's why we, we, someone asked for help. And Jesus says, fill the pot with water. So they're filling the pots with water, wondering what in the world is going on. No one can make wine overnight with water. And then secondly, so you can imagine already, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the waiters. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Is this, you know, this is kind of ridiculous. And then secondly, and then Jesus says, now after you've filled the pots with water, now, secondly, draw from that pot that you just filled with water. And so now the waiters are drawing from this pot that they had just filled with water. They're now in their minds drawing out water you know, to be served to the various uh, uh, wedding guests. Somewhere, and it's not distinctly clear, somewhere between them pouring plain water into these jugs... And then somewhere between them pulling out this water in to be served to the wedding guests, somewhere along that time, somewhere in that process, the water became wine. And they're serving it because they're simply doing what Jesus said to do. And then the head waiter comes back and says, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You're serving the best wine now. Now, there's all sorts of people there. They're, they're, maybe the disciples were on the fringes, on the wall, checking it out. Maybe, maybe the, the, you know, the, the, certainly the, the wedding guests are sitting there, having had their wine, and then drinking this wine. They're like, oh, wow, the good stuff has come out now, you know, which is, which is you know, countercultural. The, the, the good stuff was served first, and then once people got their fill, then the, then the cheaper stuff was served later. And so maybe there were some people that you know, took notice, you know, uh, uh, um, 
you know, it, it, it made it to their senses, like, oh, wow, this is good stuff. Oh, wow, you know, it noticed, like, wow, this is really good. This is a really great wedding. Oh, this is really good wine. You know, there's certain effects, you know, of the recipients at, at various degrees. But the ones who I believe were the most impacted were the ones who maybe hesitated, who maybe questioned, who maybe thought, what in the world is God doing? Or, sorry, what in the world is Jesus doing? Why in the world is he asking me to do it this way? Why in the world is he asking me to do something that's impossible, that's improbable, that, that, that's not going to be meaningful, that no one's going to even notice? And yet these were the ones that obeyed and followed and submitted. And so they're the ones who saw firsthand, literally going through the motions. And they don't know why they're going through the motions, but simply because Jesus said to do it, they're doing it. And there's somewhere in the process, God, Jesus turns water into wine. And I think this is a very um, great example for us in the church and in the ministry. There are so many things. There are so many times, aren't there, where you feel like the Lord has asked you to commit to something or the Lord has asked you to submit to something and you have a hard time or you struggle with it and yet you obey and maybe reluctantly even and maybe even uh, you, you know, really, really struggling with it and yet simply we obey simply because Jesus said to do it. And, and in our cognitive reasoning, and in our vision and in our foresight, doesn't make any sense. There's so many different ways or different things that we could be doing or different ways that we could approach. And yet, Jesus simply asks us to do what he says. He simply asks us to commit and submit to the words that he speaks. And whether it's from the first action, whether it's from the second action, whether it's from the third action of serving, eventually, I think what we have to take away from here is even if it sounds crazy, even if it doesn't make sense, Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. In your life, in your life, there may be something you're questioning or struggling with or why this particular season or God, why did you bring about it in this manner and not in this manner? Lord, why are you asking me to continue in this ministry or, or commit to this ministry? And I want to challenge you and charge you and encourage you this morning to simply obey and to simply trust that somewhere along the process, unbeknownst to us, Jesus is turning our water into his miraculous wine. That God is able to do something far beyond uh, even our expectations. <clears throat> and so I want to propose to you that it was the ones who kind of thought at one moment, what is going on and why is Jesus asking me to do these things? That they were the most blessed. They got to see firsthand. They got to see the transfer uh, uh, of God's power. And then to see the people drinking it and not, not you know, uh, uh, them not realizing the whole process, right? There's a lot of people that'll come to church and they'll reap the benefits of other people's labors. You know, they'll reap the blessings and benefits uh, uh, of other people's, you know, faith and fasting and journey. And, and, and that's okay. And, and praise God, we, you know, we, you know, we recognize we're part of a greater body here and they're blessed. But it's the ones who have sowed and who have travailed and, and who have really journeyed, that are really going to encounter God. You know, imagine a big bus, right? And everyone's on that bus. And, and the further you are in the back, you, 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 I don't know, you kind of, when the bus stops, you kind of end up in your destination. It's like, oh, wow, how do we get here? <laughs> right? But those in the front, or those in shotgun, or those sitting closer to Jesus, you know, they get, a, they get a 
sort of a first-hand view, you know, from the guide, from the creator of how these things come about. I just want to, um, one more point I want to bring out this morning. Um, in verse 15, it says that Jesus made a whip of cords. <clears throat> and this is some interesting imagery, right? Because we, we always think of Jesus as, uh, um, you know, humble, modest, loving, gracious, forgiving. And these are certainly attributes that we aspire to as believers. Um, but I want to show you a glimpse here and um, a picture of what we call righteous anger. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And you have to be very clear a distinction between just anger, right? A, a lot of us have, you know, myself included, I'm very good at just anger, right? Um, but we're talking about righteous anger here. And here you have a picture of Jesus driving out people, literally flipping tables, uh, you know, uh, slapping his whip, pouring out other people's monies, you know, in the marketplace. Imagine going through a, 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 a church and, and their foyer and in the, in the, in the entrance of the church is pretty much like a hawker center and, and all these markets and businesses owned by the, you know, religious or, 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 or allowed by religious leaders and all this transactions are happening and Jesus comes and starts flipping and, 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 and basically what was happening was <clears throat> the entrance to the temple, um, there were these money changers and so, uh, uh, Jews would, you know, have these pilgrimages where they would come from great distances from neighboring uh, cities or, or, or regions, and they would make these journeys to come annually to give their offering, and they would bring unblemished animals, like, you know, birds, doves, uh, uh, um, you know, for sacrifice, perfectly, that prepared, you know, brought their best, and then they would come, and they would want to bring it to the temple to offer sacrifice. And what they would do is they would then observe these animals and say, oh no, there's a flaw. This one's blemished. This one's, this one's no good. Which is not true at all. You know, them having brought the best they can bring. And they would say, you can't use these animals, even though they're perfectly fine. You have to use these animals. You know, and so then they would take the better quality animals, bring them in. And these people who have journeyed however many days or, or sojourn all the way to come, you know, they're not in a position to sort of, sort of argue. And so then they have to pay and buy these not as good animals, cheaper or lesser animals, and then double whammy, they would get them on the exchange rate and the currency. Well, we, we, we can't take you know, this currency, you have to exchange it here at the, at, the, at the changers, and so then they would get ripped off on the exchange rate and then have to buy something they don't really need and make all these barriers and, and obstacles. And so Jesus was seeing that there is, it was, you know, people were generating a profit, making money out of people's pure desires, simply the desire of people who want to come near to God, these guys were making it difficult to do that. Pure worshipers coming to sacrifice and worship, and there was a barrier. The religious leaders and the institution at that time was making it difficult. If you want to know what makes God furious, if you want to know what grieves the heart of God, it's when believers make it difficult for seekers to encounter God. When believers make it difficult for seekers to encounter God. Right? That could be a church policy. Right? You know, uh, all our church members that come on a Sunday, believers, have to go through house church registration. There's no way you're going to get into any house church if you're a believer unless you go through registration. That's just how it works at SP. There are other churches do it differently, but this is how we do it. There's just, there's just no questions about it. But we have a back, 
all our leaders know, and if you haven't heard it, let me be the first to tell you, uh, we do have a backdoor for non-believers. If you're a non-believer, right? So if you're in a house church, let's say Shelford or let's say Eight Rivers, and you have a friend who is a non-believer, you can invite that non-believer directly to your house church. Someone who would never step foot into a, a Sunday service, someone who would never come to listen to a sermon, right? But has a relationship with you and wants to come into house church, they have, they have a, a free access, no questions asked. They can come because our heart and desire is for them to encounter God, to experience God, to be saved. And then we'll get them through the church all, all through the other ways over time, right? Um, that was a joke, by the way. Okay. Right? Um, but there's nothing more that infuriates, that makes God angry. You know, and, 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 and so the easiest place to look is like a pastor and like policies and Pastor Sam, you know, why are we more secret sin? But I, I, I want to propose to you, it's not just pastors, it's, it's, it's you guys too, okay? It's, it's too Christianese, it's too religious. You know, uh, uh, you know yesterday I was giving you guys, uh, there's such a, have you guys heard of this, such a thing as Christianese, Christianese language? And um, I actually wrote down a few. Um, I came up with some, and I actually sent a video. If you guys want to see it, it's quite funny. Um, but here's some phrases. I understand what they mean. And, and within a Christian context, I use them, and I love it. So, so I use it too. So I'm, I'm making fun of myself. Does that make sense? So I know what it means. Probably most of you know what it, knows what it means. But if you're a new believer or a non-believer and you come, you have no idea what this means. And when you have two Christians talk about in this language, you have no idea what in the world they're talking about. You know, so we like to say things like hedge of protection. Oh, I'll do a hedge of protection. I'll pray a hedge of protection over you. You know, is that, you know, some kind of, you know, a symbol or a sign, right? Um, you know, oh, you're traveling. Okay, well, I, I pray for traveling mercies. You know, yeah, traveling mercies, of course. Yeah, mercies for traveling. You know, God's favor, God's blessing, God's covering, protection. Um, you know, God works in mysterious ways. That's, that's you know, a quite popular one. Uh, graves into gardens, you know, washed by the lamb, washed by the blood, washed by the lamb. You know, if you're a non-believer or a seeker and your first time coming, you're like, you don't know what this means. Like, where's the blood? And you, you, you know, you, you, you wash yourself in it. You know, uh, we use this word fellowshipping. Hey, let's fellowship. Let's, oh, that was such a great fellowshipping and things like that. And, and, and people outside don't know, uh, you know, what that means. Um, and so we do have to be a little bit intentional uh, around seekers. Do you, guys, do you guys know that one of the greatest ways, you know, if you feel like you're dry, if you, if you feel like your house church is dry, or if you feel like you're kind of in a repetitive cycle, do you know, can I, can I advise one of the best ways to bring some vibrancy and some new life is to bring a, a, a seeker or non-believer that you have a trusting relationship with who's genuinely seeking into your mix, in, invite them into your house church, and all of a sudden, you'll notice something different. All of a sudden, from the leaders to everyone in that house church, everyone's perspective, everyone's sort of vantage point will change. All of a sudden, everything will gear towards helping this person understand even the most elementary and basic principles of the scriptures. And so the, 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 the dynamic of the group changes. And, and now you're not just teaching, or you're not, you're not just digging into the Greek and the Hebrew to get a, a, a deeper knowledge. Now you're studying and bringing things out in the scriptures, and certainly praying. You know, we had Alpha just not, not too long ago, and we're going to start it again in, 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 the, in the new year, in, in quarter one. But there's just a different spirit, there's a different perspective, there's a different angle, there's a different heart. When, when the purpose of meeting is so that someone has an encounter with God, so that they would have a relationship with God, because we know that there's going to be transformation in God. Right? And so 
a lot of times I've seen, and, and people even uh, uh, testify and share, Pastor Sam, like, man, ever since this person joined, our house church has been dynamic. You know, we've been so focused. Our, our prayers have been so purposeful. And all our discussions, you know, even though I've known this, even though I've gone to seminar, even though I've, I've taken classes, even though I've done EG three or four times, right? You know, every time we read the word and every time we're trying to explain it to a, a new believer or a seeker, it brings new life and it even encourages me and it even reminds me of what I, you know, the, the primary purposes and the reasons why I first came to the faith. And so sometimes, you know, we have to be careful that we're stuck. That, that we become that sort of, you know, clog or block in the move of the Spirit and God trying to reach other people. So I, I love SP. I love, I love what we do. I love how we're growing. And, and I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful church. Um, but that's something for us to be, you know, sort of sensitive and aware about. Um, but on the other side as well, and then I'll wrap up here this morning, um, there is a place for, for righteous judgment. Um, I think it has to be very clear. I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a common occurrence. I don't think it's something that you utilize all the time, but there, there's, there's, there's a place and a time for that. Um, and then I'll, I'll close off uh, lastly, and I mentioned yesterday, guarding your heart. You know, and, and as a couple of you guys giggled because we use that a lot. Uh, whether whether it's in any context, but usually in the relationship context, you know, guarding your heart, guarding your heart. Um, well, I actually found the biblical reference for it, and it comes from John chapter two. We just read it today, and I'll read it for you, and then we'll close. Okay. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name and he observed the signs that which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. So people were like celebrating him, praising him, talking big. Jesus is awesome. And I love this verse. It says in verse 24, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. You know, he wasn't believing the hype. He wasn't hedging or relying on the praise or the acceptance of man. Um, He knew that people can be uh, uh, um, that they can be fickle, quite, quite frankly, and that they can tell you what you know, they think they want you to hear. And so Jesus is guarding his heart. <laughs> that's, that's a scriptural reference. And, and, and in other words, he's not entrusting himself. He's not lending himself. He doesn't so openly and easily allow people or give out uh, his identity. He just came off of the 40-day fast. He just came out of this encounter with the devil attacking his identity. And he knows who he is. He knows who he is, his foundation, his value, his worth, who he is comes from the Father. Nothing anyone says, good or bad about him, is going to detour him. Amen? He's on a mission. And uh, chapter 2, and then we're going to continue on in chapter 3 tomorrow. Let's bow our heads. This morning, um, I want to invite you to consider, is, is the Lord, has the Lord already asked you to commit to something? Right? And can you relate to the person who's literally doing nothing but pouring water into a jug? It literally feels like useless energy. And then, not only that, 
And then he says, now draw from it. You know, I mean, for some of us, honestly, that's like the breaking point. Okay, you want me to do this? That's fine. Now you want me to actually act like something's going <laughs> to... And so let me encourage you this morning, right? If, if, if there's, you know, any, any root of bitterness, any root of offense, can I, can I invite you this morning just to bring that before the Lord? And can I suggest just a, a, a change of perspective and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've asked me. Thank you that you've invited me. Thank you, Lord, that I have the opportunity to serve in this manner. The fact that you've called me and the fact that you allow me to be in this position of service, Lord, I know that it's because you want to show me something. I know that it's because you want to show me a deeper revelation of yourself. I know it's not meant to be easy, but Lord, I know that you're going to be there with me. And then secondly, you know, even in the, in the, in the source of serving or, or whatever it is, you know, not entrusting ourselves, not so easily giving our hearts to certain dreams or aspirations or acclaim or titles or praise. And so from day one, people are like, dude, Jesus, you're the man. Oh, man, you should do this. And man, you're awesome. And, 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 and the Lord would not entrust himself to them, to these empty words. Right? His foundation in who he was and his worth and sense of self came in God and God alone. Let's just come before the Lord and just pray that prayer to the Lord. Lord, this morning, I want to entrust myself to you and to you alone. No job gets that privilege. No, no life status or standard gets that privilege. Certainly no relationship, uh, uh, dating, husband, children. No one, no one gets that privilege. You and you only. You first and foremost. And then in that foundation, then everyone else gets you know, second in line after you. And then everything else is defined in that context, Lord. And so let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning. Let the Holy Spirit highlight to you. Is there anywhere, known or unbeknownst to you, that you have lended your heart, extended your heart beyond probably where, you know, uh, uh, God would say in the Spirit is comfortable? No, you belong to me. I give you value. I give you worth. Full stop. And so just come before the Lord. And then uh, after a moment.